You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, back with an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Tolulope Olabinton. She is a family physician in Mansfield, Texas. She is also the founder of a Living Spring Family Medical Center, where she empowers patients, young and old, to take back control of their own health and outcomes. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm kind of excited too. <laughs> yes, so am I. We were just talking about this amazing practice you're developing, and I want to dig in. But first, it's always great to hear your story into medicine in general. What was your journey like? Wow. So um, I'll be honest with you, I was pretty lucky in that I knew that I wanted to be a doctor uh, from an early age. Um, I do enjoy taking care of people. So it seemed like the, a natural fit. It was either that or be a math teacher because I love math. Um, but I, I found myself that I, I, I thrive when I derive a lot of joy when, you know, I'm able to make someone feel better. So it just, it just, um, it just made sense. And so the sciences I did well at, um, I was able to finish school pretty early, um, and I got into medical school, but, um, I did think I'd be a pediatrician. I love kids. I'm full of energy. I like their vibe. I like, I'm a big kid sometimes. Um, and I thought that that would be something I would do. But then um, towards the end of my third year, I did the family medicine rotation. And I got to meet a man who was in his 90s. Um, his daughter and his grandkids all were the patients of a family physician I was shadowing, Dr. Duncan, um, at um, New Jersey Medical School. And so I was so amazed. And he would tell me about his kids and his grandkids. And they would be all there sometimes during the visit. And I was just like, I love that. So you know the father, you know the risk factors the father had or the health problems. So you know that that's something to watch on the child. And then there's the grandchild and they get to be the whole family. Of course, a lot of stories um, during that interaction. I'm like, oh my goodness, I love family medicine. I also fell in love with OB-GYN. I love delivering babies. Um, and, and so I was kind of confused. I was like, oh my goodness, I like family medicine. I like peds. I like OB. Well, what, what, um, what specialty will allow me to combine all three? So family medicine was it, but I was still pulled towards OB. And so when I was looking for a residency program, you know, I had people pulling me do family medicine. Others said, do um, OB, just stick. And I said, you know what, what I'll do instead um, of doing family medicine and an OB guy in residency would be do family medicine and then go to a residency that was strong in OB. Well, that's what I signed off to do uh, when I went to, um, res- when I did my residency in New York. But I didn't get as much of an experience as I wanted. Um, I found that I was always pulling for those experiences. The OB department knew me. They had my cell phone, so they would call me whenever there was a delivery. Like, I would know she's one that wants. But I still felt like I needed to do more. So after that, I did an additional um, training in surgical OB. 
So I got to deliver um, high-risk babies. I got to do C-sections. Um, and then after that, I chose to work in a program that was heavy on deliveries as a family physician in the Memphis, Tennessee area. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a few years. Um, and I remember the last baby I delivered was actually my high school, one of my high school uh, friends, uh, my mm-hmm. best friends in high school, her, her son. So that's, that's, that's how I remember the last time I did a, a, a delivery. Um, but after that, you know, life happens. Um, we had to move uh, to Pennsylvania. And in that area, uh, not a whole lot of family physicians do deliveries. And so I decided to work, you know, in a, in a clinic setting, uh, mostly private uh, insurance. Um, did that for a couple of years. And then again, I transitioned into, it's so interesting. Um, when I was working in um, Memphis, Tennessee, the same person who helped connect me with the job recommended this job for me. It was HIV, doing primary care for HIV patients. And I said, that's not something I have done so much. I've done partly uh, that. And I said, no, we think it'd be a good fit for you uh, as a patient population that do need a lot of care. And um, they thought it'd be a good fit. And she was right. Um, I did um, I did join and um, and I've been doing that since. Now, in regards to Living Spring Family Medical Center, I'll be honest with you, I've always known I should open a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had um, patients tell me, I've had strangers tell me, um, but I always thought it was something with a shoulder, you know, like something right before. And then COVID hit. And um, during that year, it was a year for forced reflection. Um, it was a year for um, resiliency training for me. Um, and I came to the conclusion that one, I need to live out my life's purpose. Like there will never be a time that's convenient. So mm-hmm. might as well do it now. And then two, I understood that for the role that I am to play, I must be in a state of constant refoiling. Mm-hmm. I can only pour out what I'm poured into. And that's where the need to de- deepen my spiritual connection came. Um, so you know, I remember during COVID, I had to talk some patients off out of um, committing suicide over a virtual mm-hmm. platform. We're crying together. I had to um, deliver the news or, you know, that a patient was terminal, um, you know, HIV wise or AIDS wise. And it's just, um, it was tough. And I I went through a, a higher level of burnout, even though a lot was virtual and partly in person. Um, it was just everything with COVID was, it was just a lot. And I felt, you know what? If I want to keep doing this job that I love, you know, taking care of people, I have to know how to be sourced, like where, where to get my source. And so, you know, um, you know, praying and, and being able to pray for my patients effectively and, and um, became, became uh, uh, necessary. Um, and so I said, oh, Living Spring, it's time. And mm-hmm. um, I started the process and here we are, we're, we're scheduled to open um, by the uh, towards the last week of July, 2021. So, That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations on that Thank launch. You. And what a powerful story. I want to pull some pieces through in there. And one that came through was this love of math. And I love to see where the connections lie in the story and what you ended up doing. And you shared with me some of the key principles, kind of the pillars of your practice. And I see in there this equation, right? This summative value. So tell me about how math is coming through, the problem solving you're having, and how you see this kind of some of the parts 
coming together for your practice? Numbers appeal to me. So it's, okay, what target am I supposed to meet? What am I supposed to do to be deemed effective? How can I? So, you know, even looking at my my patients who have good cash flow through the clinic. So all those things kind of, you know, um, um, come together for me. It's not just an... Um, um, an abstract thing. It's okay. Let's put the numbers down. We add this and this. This is my goal, and I shoot for it. Um, now, even in my practice, it's so interesting. I've had some patients, some young patients, who are struggling because during COVID, of course, there's the, the virtual learning. Um, and I have a very close family member who's a professor in math, and um, I've had patients talk about part of their struggles during COVID is a struggle in school. All right. And a lot of them have said math is an issue. And I was like, hey, math, one plus one is always two. There's no other way around it. So it's just a question of getting the fundamentals. And they're looking at me like, um, oh, so you were math. I'm like, yeah, I took cal- all the way to Cal 3 just for fun. Because I, I, I wanted to get as much math, but I did more than necessary. And I said, yes, one plus one is always two. Like, the, it's, it, there's never an alternate answer. So that's the beauty of math. So you just have to, you know, get back to the fundamentals. Where did you, where did you miss it? It's amazing how conversations come out when you just ask people, like, how are you really doing? Like, what's up? What's what's what, what's an issue? Oh, I'm good. My numbers are good, you know, as far as HIV numbers, but I'm struggling in school. I can't concentrate. I, virtual learning is not the way. And I say, well, maybe you have to meet the teacher. And we talk strategies. And I wrote out on my prescription pad, do this, do this, do this, try. Mm-hmm. Let your teacher know that you're trying to make it an effort and then go from there. So math has come. And, of course, I have two little kids and we do math quite a bit and I always challenge it like my one says I don't like math I'm like it's like don't worry you just gotta fall in love with it (laughs) I love that I love bringing that through and there is that reassurance in math that there is a solution and so many things don't have that option in life so to have that focus and that locus of control is really reassuring and soothing and I agree spending some time with my fifth grader on his math problems is some of my favorite time right because it is we can find the way right to figure this out and that can be really exciting. I love seeing that come through. I'd also like to hear about the experience of working with patients in all of these different locations. And you've seen the evolution of your practice, right? OB heavy, really cultivating that and then moving into this space for HIV AIDS patients, but all these geographic locations as well. I'm really curious what it was like culturally working in those different locations as you cultivate your practice now. Outside of residency, saying that I only wanted, or I primarily wanted to work you know, on the served areas. Um, and I did, um, you know, I went from the dynamics of, you know, talking to patients who I had to beg to prioritize their health, where I had to say, you know, um, I, you know, practically would say, I, I can't, I can't want what's best for you more than you want yourself, but I, I need you, I need you to make that a priority. I, I need you to want that because it, it's a good thing. It's, it, the onus is on you. So, you know, I, you know, I, a lot of it was, you know, more like mentoring sessions. You know, I had young patients who were pregnant. You know, I had a, I had a 16-year-old G3P3. Mm, I mean, wow. before she left the hospital, I was like, yeah, we're, we're going to put, put something in, you know. And, and you know, talk about, okay, where do you see yourself? And it's funny, you have that look on my face, like, what do you mean? Like, where do you see yourself? What do you think is possible with you? You know, and, and I'll be honest with you, it was very, it was very mentally exhausting, but also rewarding at the same time because, I would open their eyes to the possibility of who they could become, regardless of what their background had been, 
you know, so that was exciting. It was also challenging because it was like, it's your responsibility. You got to do this. You know, you can't, you know, don't, you made this mistake once, twice. Let, let's try not to make it the fourth time or the fifth time, you know. Um, then there was the scarcity of resources where you have to really fight, you know, for, for, you know, and be an advocate and help the patients navigate and make sure they come for their appointment or say, let's not, let's not buy that purse this month. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get your, your medicine. That's the priority, you know, they like helping them reprioritize and saying that, you know, you, you, you are responsible for your outcome. And then you move to, uh, and then surgical OB was very exciting. I'll be honest with you, like, like being in the OR mm-hmm. or being in the delivery room and, you know, the mom and baby for the first time. Oh my gosh. You know, that, that I miss that, you know, the look mm-hmm. of love, like all the pain is, is just then matter because the baby is here and the family is drawn together. Of course, there are outliers when you have to deliver a dead baby or or things like that, that that get a little difficult. But you're there to support the whole family through that process. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was um, Memphis and Arkansas area. And then I moved back to Pennsylvania where I did, you know, typically outpatient um, uh, uh, primary care, you know, and there's all in four patients that come in and they already know what the MRI they need and why they need it. And, (laughs) And so, you know, also wanting to give good care, you know, respecting the patient's wishes but navigating like do you need that how does that influence the outcome what are you looking to get what would you change with or without the the, the testing so helping them understand like i'm trying to help you you know um you know so it had its own challenges in fact i was a little nervous about going to that because i felt you know my goodness would would it be the tug of war but over time you know as patients saw that i cared and i took the time and i would tell them i said it's easier for me to just say yes I mean, like you say every time, boom, here's what you want to buy, but I'm trying to help you say, you don't need that. You don't need all that exposure. You don't need that. Um, so it was a different dynamic, but I, it's, it's prepared me well for my practice. I have to tell you, because where I'm located, you know, I'm going to have a good mix of the two, mm-hmm. probably more um, the middle upper, um, but I have, I have access to the two. So it's, it's been, it's been interesting. Isn't that so fascinating, right? How life weaves us through these places that are going to bring us to where we were always meant to be. And I hope all who are listening, like physicians and non-physicians recognize that we do have to treat more than just these medical concerns. We're treating people and their families and the culture and taking all of that into consideration. And I love that point in there that you believed right with and for your patients in advance of what was possible. And that can make that reprioritization even I would say easier because it's never really easy, but even a consideration, right? To know that I'm working towards something. So to offer that is so beautiful. And like you said, to take not the easy route, but to actually reflect and say, yes, you could have this study. We could order all the studies and your insurance probably would pay for it. But is that appropriate? And is it going to make a difference in your health? Those are so many powerful lessons in there. So let's talk more about how you're bringing these forward into the principles on which you are founding Living Spring Family Medical Center. Will you share the four of them with the listeners and then we'll dive deep into each one? Sure. Um, I help patients young and old. Um, I empower them to, to um, influence or take control of their own health outcomes. And how do I do this? Number one, I help you prioritize your own health. If you don't see it as a priority, you know, you're not, you'll make time for what's important. So I help them understand that the same way that you you know, you prioritize, you know, saving money for that fancy car is the same way you should prioritize your health. Number two, I maximize the wellness visit. 
a lot of times people don't want to come for that. They feel they just talk to and they go, but with your wellness visits, we can find out things that can be preventable and we can also help in the long run. Number three, I combine um, medications and healthy lifestyles tailored to the patient. And number four, um, I offer sincere care because you thrive when you feel like you sincerely feel cared for. You're more, you're more than likely to thrive. Um, and, and that's where the Living Spring Park comes in um, because I do, I do believe that the gift of compassion is from God. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the four. Yeah. And I share with you a bit in our pre-program discussion how much I hear the osteopathic tenants reflected in here and seeing, right, prioritizing own health and looking at kind of structure and function in there, looking at maximizing wellness visits that we do have, right, wellness within, and we need to nurture that and bring it out, seeing the healthy lifestyle changes and medications. We could look at their structure and function, but also honoring body, mind, spirit in there and seeing that definition of health and how that can evolve. And then beautifully, you bring it forward, you wrap it all together in sincere care. And that's our fourth tenant, right? We bring all of those tenants together and then that gives us our rational treatment. Although I will say sincere care has a much nicer <laughs> ring to it than rational treatment. So maybe we'll offer that up as an, as an option. So tell us what that might look like. How do you have a discussion about someone about what their health looks like and how they could even prioritize it? Like you said, that might not even seem like a possibility. And one of the moments. Um, so I had a patient, um, came in to see me, I think it was the third time he was coming to our clinic and I was his last, you know, like trial. Like he's like, yeah, I'll see the new doctor. Um, And we spoke, I encouraged him like, hey, why aren't you taking your medicine? What's the problem? And, you know, by the time I finished talking, he looked at me, he's like, doc, why do you care? We're all going to die someday. And I said, uh, yeah, we're going to die someday, but there is a way to die. Okay. And then I went into like, I've, I've, I remember when I was in Pennsylvania, I had about maybe 20, 30, 90 year old patients, you know, many of them, maybe except one would come in, you know, argue about the medicine. Hey doc, you know, I don't want to take this medicine anymore. At 94, I'd say, man, whatever you want, but I just want you to know that these these are linked to this. If you want us to cut down with your blood pressure medicine, or maybe we can combine two medicines into one so you don't have too many pills, we could do that. And one of the things I did throughout the time I was there, I would ask, interview all of these patients at one time or another during their visits, and ask them, what do you think? Well, if you could talk to the younger generations, what would you say was is the reason why you, you, yours, you look as good and you feel as good now? They would complain that many of their friends had died and da-da-da. But what was common to all of them were a few things. One, they all exercised or were active in some way. Two, they, um, they ate very well, healthy, clean. Um, and then three, many of them said, you have to let go of grudges. You got to let it go. Like, it, it's a, it's a, it, like you have to forgive. You got to let it go. Um, and they said, find reasons to laugh. Um, mm-hmm. So those were things. So I, I shared that to him. I said, look, I agree. You know, but then I asked him, I said, are you saving money for something? He's like, yeah, I'm saving money for, I want to buy this Jeep. I want to do this. I'm like, so you're anticipating you would live to enjoy those things. I said, if you don't make health plans, you know, more than likely, if you're not taking your medicines, your viral load goes up. Mm, yeah, you're not going to enjoy that Jeep. So I want you not only to have long life, I want you to have a long life that it's well lived. So quality and quantity of life. So I helped him see like, there is a way to die. It could be, you know, at home, you know, it's coming and you're like, um, 
okay, get all the kids together, gather your family together and say, hey, guys, I hope I was able to, to be a blessing to you. I wish you well. My time is coming. You know, so there are things you can control. Now, granted, there are conditions that are passed on, cancers and things like that. So I'm not saying that it's an absolute, but there is a, a doing that leads to a living. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but you can't, it's, it, 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 you know, life, if you don't shower, you're going to stink. If you don't <laughs> shave, you're going to look like a little rough. So <laughs> it is good for you. You make this concerted effort to look a certain way to do it because you want a certain outcome. When you're going for an interview, you don't just wear boxes and t-shirt. It could be <laughs> convenient, but no. So you made those decisions the same way. If this is the outcome, you work towards it. Natural order is chaos. You organize it to get that outcome. So I told him, I said, yeah. And then he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, doc. All right. I said, yeah, all you got to do, take the medicine. You have questions, you have issues, let me know. I said, you're the one swallowing the pill, I agree. But if you have questions or concerns, let me know. But this is our goal. Are you with me? He's like, yeah, I can, I can, I can work with that, you know. Um, but you show them what's possible, you know, and, and we one day at a time, you know. One I love that. The passion and the enthusiasm and the examples of what could be and what a great tie for that patient. Right? You're saving for this Jeep, right? So let's have the life to live so you can drive this Jeep and enjoy it. Oh. So powerful. And to know as well that we can't control everything, like you said, right? Some genetic things are passed down. We may have an unfortunate circumstance, but control what we can in that space. And let's find out what that is. How about maximizing the wellness visits? And like you said, that can sometimes feel like I'm just checking a box, right? I'm just doing this thing we're supposed to do each year. How do you bring more to that? How do you engage them in that space? Said number one, your insurance loves that you do, they'll pay for it. It's like practically free. Like they want you to be healthy. So and I tell them before that visit, if you can find find out from family members, are there any health problems? And this is where I get to the mind part. This is where conversations likely lead to, oh, I don't talk to my sister. Oh, I don't talk to them. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And then there's an, okay, you know, and it's a, it's a cause of emotional stress or there's a, there's a pain that comes with that. And there's a, and so, um, but not to digress. You know, I, I, I prepare them for it. And I say, you know, if you have any questions during that visit, it's good that you write it down because it's mostly preventive. So, um, you know, if we have time for uh, questions, we could do that. But our goal is to find out more about you, more about your family and say, okay, what are things that are on ground right now concerning you that we can help um, reduce, that we know that can help reduce the risk of a bad outcome for you? I said, that's the purpose of the visit. Um, I tell them to bring all the medications, herbs, and whatever else they're taking. Um, I ask them to ask their family members. Uh, they have questions to so have it written down. I'm probably giving it to my medical assistant so that way they can present it to me. I can brace myself for it and maximize the time frame. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they typically look forward to it. And then, um, you know, I ask uh, questions. How are you doing emotionally? You know, and how can I help you um, live a healthier life? And sometimes mm -hmm. they're like... Uh, I don't know, like, think about it next time. Let me know how. Yes. And we don't often get asked that question, you know, and to be able to answer it. I love that you notice there's often this response. I don't even know because nobody's ever offered, right? What does help look like for you in this space? And to open that space as well to see the emotional stressors and to notice the impact they have, right? Like your advisory from the 90-year-old cannot hold grudges and to see that chronic stress, inflammation, right? The impact that can have on us. What a gift. To open that up. And then the third, I think is so important because often we'll see these as distinct, right? Medications here, healthy lifestyle counseling here, but to be able to really integrate them 
it's so powerful to be able to come to one space, right? And to have your medication prescribed, managed, modified, and right, to have that partnered with lifestyle changes. How does that go? And what impact does it actually have on perhaps the prescriptions people utilize? Bearing in mind, some of your patients, of course, are on mandatory medications given their diagnoses. This is a joint decision. I don't, I don't play the, I'm a doctor, this is what you take. You know, I tell them, like, you live out the consequences. I'm here to help guide you. So it's the onus is on you, but I can help you make an informed decision. So I have a conversation with you. You know, a lot of times when I say, oh, your cholesterol is high, I got to add medicine. This is, oh, dog, you just want to give me more medicine. I'm like, yeah, trust me. No, I don't. But I know based on what we've known for decades now, if your LDL is this high and with this risk factor, you've been diabetic. Well, a stroke, a heart attack is knocking your door. So, so I have patients who say, doc, I don't want any more medicine. I'll be honest with you because I ask. I don't just write it on the script and then it's there pretty in the computer and they're not taking it. But they would tell me, Doc, I'm not going to take it. And I say to them, I say, okay, well, you know, I'll document, you know, may have you sign that you refuse this management. I also have an alternative. Well, studies show that blueberries can help lower your cholesterol. So half a cup every other day, here's a prescription. We'll do it again three months. If that doesn't work now, you really need to consider that medicine. I either up the dose or we start to, like if they're on a lower dose, I up it. Or if you're not, I start doing a lower dose. Um, and then we'll go from there. And I also like the, um, I'm a big fan of the nutrigenomic pharmacogenic testing. Um, I like the idea of being able to know maybe what medicines will work better for you than others um, preventively. So it's something that I also offer to my patients who are able to get it. Um, and so that helps guide that decision too. But I tell them, you know, I, I remember I had one, oh, I felt so bad for I had a patient, high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, so low salt, <laughs> low carbs, <laughs> low fat. She looked at me and said, what do you want me to eat? And I said, you are right. That's a tough decision. So we'll do the medicines. We'll balance that. But here are things you could do, you know, and then I want you to talk to a nutritionist and I need you to be honest. Tell them this is what you don't go there and, and leave with. They said, eat fruits and veggies. Like, no, what, what did you tell them? So tell them and be honest, I eat this, I indulge in this. These are my habits. I need help. So that way you can maximize also that referral. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's just many people where they're at, even if they're not doing, you know, quote unquote, what, what is guidelines or what's recommended, at least you're on the path towards it. So I don't, I don't, I try not to, I don't give up on patients, even the ones that are like, I'm not taking anything I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, so how can I help you? Absolutely. Because some is better than none, right? So we have our ideal. But if we have the choice of nothing, let's start those steps. That's so yep. valuable. And we hear it woven through there. But how would you say this demonstrates that sincerity in care, sincere care? Tell us more about that because it sounds amazing. And already we hear it in your description of the other three. Sincere care, the, 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 journey, the journey to that point has not always been straightforward. So I, I, I do have the gift of compassion. I believe that comes from God where I'm able to feel what the patient is feeling or what that person is feeling. Now, earlier on, those feelings sometimes are debilitating. So I'm sad, I feel down, you feel down, we're both down and we stay down. So I had to, I had to learn how to channel that gift to be constructive for the patient and for me. So we both get something out of it. Um, and primarily, of course, the patient, but as a physician, you're, you're at a higher risk of burnout and then you're not effective either way. So, um, so 
what I've instead been able to do, and one of the things I did pick up during COVID um, was doing a prayer walk. I do a one hour prayer walk most days. And that's where I, I unburden my cares. Lord, I remember this patient, please, you know, help, you know. And, and you know, I remember when, you know, the reports of patients dying alone, looking at video, I was just like, oh my God, Lord, send encounters, send angels, send, you know, um, you know, people in this room so they don't feel alone as they transition. And so being able to do that, I feel energized. I feel strengthened from my spirit. Um, and so I'm able to do the same thing the next day and say, okay, all right, so we have this bad news. I can cry with you. I can hug when, when, when allowed. And then I can say, okay, how can I make you comfortable? I did have to tell a patient that they had, you know, uh, cancer and, you know, during the time. And I, I, I said, you know what, how that's hard, but how can I make you comfortable? Like what's important to you during this time and what, what can I help you do? You know, and I was so thankful and privileged that I, I, I was able to, you know, be around him, you know, as he transitioned. And so, um, it's 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 simply letting someone know that I care about their outcome, that I'm not just in it to tell you what to do. It's more like you as a person, you know, what's going on with you? Yes, I see the numbers on the labs, but, you know, is there something else that's causing your numbers to not be this good? Or And with the mask, oh, my goodness, the mask was, you know, was an inconvenience, but it's also been a blessing because now my patients can't hide. Their mouths are covered, so I'm looking in their eyes. Before mm -hmm. it'd be this and that, they look left or right, so they can evade or distract me with their mouth or gesticulation. But right now, I'm looking in your eyes, mm -hmm. and I, I'm, they're looking in mine too. And I'm like, I hope you can see the sincerity in my eyes. And they're like, I can see it. And then there's an opening, and I get to know them more. Patients mm -hmm. who open up, who, who I didn't even know were struggling with addictions and have ha had opened up because they saw that. Um, and like I said, it's a gift. It's not something I will profess I have mastered, but I am. Mm -hmm. I, it's a gift, and I'm learning how to channel that in my patient encounters from day to day. Mm -hmm. And thank you for sharing that and recognizing when it is something you have to offer, and that it takes time to bring forth. And I was actually just talking with a friend who was also a physician about how the children right now who are you know being educated in social constructs with masks on are probably picking up right, on the nuances and the subtleties in a different way. And so we do have this opportunity to connect with one another on a new level, such a powerful way to bring that forward. And so as you move into this practice, tell us where patients can find you there and who is eligible for care through Living Spring Family Medical Center. I'm Mansfield, Texas, but I do have a telemedicine platform open for residents in Tennessee, and in Texas, um, and you can book an appointment www.livingspringmedicals.com. I'm also on Facebook at Living Spring Medicals. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Underscore, that's DR underscore Ola Bintan. Um, and we opened in Mansfield, Texas, July 2021. Um, and uh, I look forward to, to seeing more folks. Thank that's you so, so much. That's so exciting. And I love that you have options in multiple locations and hopefully that will continue to grow as well. And so we've heard so many ways and you've illustrated it so beautifully, but I'd love to hear your final take on how you see yourself for the health of all things. So the health of all things. So looking at the, a person as mind, uh, as body, soul, and spirit, sorry. So body, soul, and spirit. So body, of course, your encasement, you know, skin, your organs, your senses, there's the mind, 
or your soul, um, a state of emotion, a personality, and then the spirit. And that's the part of you that, that uh, yearns for a higher being. And so um, as a physician at Living Spring Family Medical Center, I embody that. So when I see a patient, it's not just, um, well, let's, let's look at the numbers that the lives show. I care to know, you know, what, what, what makes up, who, who, what makes up your priorities as a, as a patient? Um, what's important to you? Um, how are you vested in your own health outcomes in those three facets? And how can I help you get better? Um, is it in, you know, how you think about the disease and, or how limiting you think the disease might be and maybe how not, how it's not and how you can still live a good life in spite of it. able to tell you that I've had challenges too and myself. I can do it and I can encourage you too, just like you may be able to encourage me too. And your spirit, I can pray with you. You know, circumstances that are sometimes behind our control, you know, I can introduce that and say, hey, I can pray, I can join my faith, your faith and pray and 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 ask for help. Um, so I, I, uh, I, um, I'm excited at the opportunity to be able to bring all of these three um, with each patient encounter um, by the grace of God. Yes. Wow. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing your story, for sharing your gifts, and for sharing with us your work. We wish you so well as this medical center opens and continues to blossom. Thank you so much, Amelia. It was so nice to be here. I enjoyed having this talk with you. Yes, as did I. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.